Well, good morning. My name is Chad Gilbert. I have the great joy of serving as the senior pastor at First Baptist, and so thankful that you're all here today. Um, this morning, we're beginning a new um, book of the Bible. We just finished up First Timothy as a church, and so now we're going over to the Old Testament. So today, I want you to find your way to the book of the Bible called Haggai. Haggai. Now listen, no shame in using the table of contents, right? Um, even as a pastor, you know, like uh, memorizing all the books of the Bible game, I was not great at. And so like, I know about where it is, but then I'm like, where is it? Cause it's only about one page. Okay. So like, you know, so that's just good for you to know. A little tip is it's between the Z's. Okay. Two prophets, uh, you know, Zephaniah and Zechariah. So it's right in between those two guys. So if you find Z, you're close. Um, but anyway, but don't, don't hesitate to use the table of contents. No shame in this place. Okay. So Haggai. All right. So one of the things that I've tried to do with us as a church, um, there are, are 12 what are called minor prophets, but they're only minor in the sense that their prophecies are shorter than some of the, what's called the major prophets, okay? Like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Um, their prophecies were much longer, um, even like 66 chapters long uh, for Isaiah. And so Haggai is two chapters long. But, but what's significant about these individuals as they prophesied to the people of God is how God was demonstrating that he is using his word through his messengers in order to bring about the desired um, rendering of their hearts, them rightly worshiping God, but then also the, the right behavior. Like in other words, our lives are to match externally what we're saying is internally. So if Internally, I'm saying Jesus is Lord. There ought to be an external manifestation of that reality with how I live. There shouldn't be an incongruity to that message. I shouldn't be saying internally or even with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, but then my life speaks a very different message that something else is Lord, whatever that is. Well, the people of God have always struggled with this sin, and this is gonna be true for you and I as well, and it's idolatry. Idolatry is at the heart of so much of what is the struggle even in our lives today. It's where we put other things as of greater importance or ultimate importance in our life. Greater importance than God are of ultimate importance. Um, an example of something um, that we often struggle with putting before God is financial security. Um, we will prioritize our own financial state, um, our ability to have what we consider to be enough, whatever that line is, um, of being of greater importance than obedience to the Lord because God may lead us to do something that isn't going to make a lot of money or God may lead us to, to a place where we make less money or something like that. And so we can look and see how many times our lives can really seem to be following the barometer of financial provision rather than maybe a direction that's obvious that it's God who's leading our decisions. So that's an example. And so today we, we are gonna go way back in history, okay? So we're about to travel about 2,500 years um, back in the storyline of the Bible. And now before I lose you, because some of you are like, oh man, a history lesson, you know, kind of thing. It's important for us to know that like this story is our story, okay? So this isn't like just a, for those that are into history, here's some history. This is our story. These are our ancestors in the faith. And we understand that we are family in Christ, uh, that we are truly brothers and sisters. We, we will have an eternal relationship with one another in this room, with God as our Father and, and Christ Jesus as our Lord and really our elder brother. Um, even the scriptures talk about 
And then we look at one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So then as we look back, we're called in scripture to look back at those who walk before us in a familial way, uh, that they are examples for us as those who just like us walked by faith. And so today we do that. We go back 2,500 years, but it kind of set the stage for what we're gonna look at today. We have to understand the big picture of God setting apart for himself uh, a people called Israel. And, and then the storyline of these people, it begins with this man named Abram who turns into Abraham and then his children and then, and then the tribes, these 12 tribes that come from, from Israel and then all of the storyline that unfolds, including the consequences of their idolatry that included, and this was the most severe form of that, of that discipline, was them being exiled. And what we see is this long and kind of tragic history of Israel, but then they actually split into two kingdoms and one part of the kingdom has already been in exile. They've been overtaken by Babylon and, and then gone into, into exile. And then later we see the, the Northern kingdom of Judah then also being overtaken by Assyria and going into exile. And right now where we're picking up is with the people of God finally being able to return to the land that they had been given by God himself, this land called Israel, and, and, and taking up residency there and beginning the process of rebuilding. You can actually go over in the, in the book of the Bible called Ezra, um, and you can look and see some of the historical happenings that were taking place at this very same time. In fact, if you go over to Ezra, you're going to read the name Haggai. Somewhere between chapters five and seven, you're gonna see all of a sudden this, this story, this guy, and you're like, oh, is this the same guy? Yeah, same guy that God is using to instruct and guide his people, but you've gotta get the picture. How many of you in New Orleans um, that live here in New Orleans lived here at the time of Hurricane Katrina? Let me just see a quick raise of hands. Man, there's a lot more of us in here than I thought, okay. Do you remember those days where all of a sudden you found yourself living somewhere else? All of a sudden, there was just this undefined sense of when do I get to come back? When, like, is it one week? Is it two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? You know, like, what does it look like for my wife and I? It was about 10 months before we were able to move back home to New Orleans and so we lived for a while in this uh, foreign land called Shreveport, okay? Um, and, and lived there, taking up residence and doing life and wondering these peculiar people, these Shreveportians, you know, like and their way of life and stuff. And all the while we're longing, we're longing to get back to New Orleans. Our, our love for this place intensified while we were away. Even things that we didn't like about New Orleans before we left, all of a sudden didn't seem so bad. And then we came back and was it like it was before we left? Not at all. There was devastation, there was new problems, there was recovery that had to take place. There were special dimensions to it of like rallying, but there was this pervading sense of depression, if I'm being honest. Cole and I, we didn't even realize that we were starting to sleep more and more, you know, and go to bed a little earlier, found it, found it harder to get up in the morning. Before we knew it, we were sleeping 10 and 11 hours a night. And, and, and all of a sudden we start, you know, talking to other friends and stuff. All of us are struggling with depression. I mean, there, there weren't any plants. 
There, there wasn't any like, you know, anything green growing. The trees were bare of their leaves. Everything is just coated in this film of dust and mud and muck. And there's a smell that pervades the city. The streets look like an old Western movie because of all the dirt in the streets. I mean, it's just like, what is this place now? Well, you can kind of taste what Israel was experiencing as they were coming back to their promised land. Uh, it was very different. There were new people there, like for us, it was all these crews that came in, all of these different people that all of a sudden took up residence in New Orleans to begin helping rebuild or take advantage of New Orleanians, you know, uh, to, to do the rebuilding work, same thing. There, there's people, these, these, these outsiders that have come into Israel and they're trying to rebuild and, they, and they've tried to begin to kind of get back to life, get back to some, some just normal living. All of us had an, a, a similar interruption with COVID, right? Where, where life maybe changed a little bit. Maybe whatever was going on stopped for a minute. Some of you maybe even lost a job during COVID. Some of you maybe had to make a career change or, or make a move or something during the height of COVID and know just how um, unsettling it was, just what strange times it was and how we all long to get back to normal, whatever that meant uh, before, we, we all wanted to get back to normal. The people of God are wanting to get back to normal in this book of the Bible. They're wanting, they're wanting life to be what it, what it was in some ways. They're, they're, they're wanting things to be right, but they're missing the main thing. They're missing the main thing. And brothers and sisters, if we are not careful today, you and I can, in our haste to get back to something former or to just get our lives stable by some standard that we consider stability, you and I can miss the main thing as well. And so I want you to hear the word of the Lord. I'm gonna invite for you to stand this morning and hear this, this 2,500 year old message and consider its relevance to us today. Beginning in verse one, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest into your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. 
So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and animal and on all that your hands produce. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God in the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the message, the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. God, it is our prayer this morning that you would set our focus rightly on you, that every life in this room would be changed by you, the God of armies, the God who has control over all things, that you would take control, God, over our lives. Our individual hearts today would be given to you and that we would consider carefully our ways so that we might have hearts that rightly fear you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can be seated. This morning, as we walk through this passage, I want us to just see several truths that I think are very relevant for your life and for my life today. The first is this, God is in control. The first is this, God is in control. Notice what happens right here in the very beginning of this prophecy. Notice how it begins. In the second year of King Darius, it doesn't speak specifically in this moment about everything's right in Israel, the king is on his throne. No, it starts off with in the second year of King Darius. King Darius is a Persian king a king who does not acknowledge God in the way that the Israelites did. He may have have understood there was a God in Israel. He may have even understood some of the history of the God of Israel, but he was not one who was rightly aligned with God as Yahweh. He was not one who could say hallelujah to God and mean it. But what we understand from God's word, especially in passages like Proverbs 21.1 is this, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. King Darius is under God's control. Even though this is a king who worships many gods and maybe has added a little bit of Yahweh to the pot, This is a God who is in control of all things, including King Darius and his predecessor who had by God's favor directed the heart of the king in order not only to allow the remnant of Israel to go back, but to begin construction of their temple and to be able to begin to reconstruct their walls and not only to allow it, but to fund it from the king's treasury. I mean, you've got these, like just, you look at this and you say, this doesn't make any sense. 
unless God's in control. Brothers and sisters, it's good for us to remember at all times when you're watching the news, whether you are one that turns on CNN or Fox News, it doesn't matter, your political party and all of those things, you need to remember as a child of God that he is in control of all things. And when you look out and you're worried about world leaders and about world wars and all of these things, and you start, you know, like, oh my gosh, what is this going to mean? Know that God is in control. That's something we are supposed to draw from the scriptures again and again and again, is that God never loses control. And that his people could trust that even when somebody they hadn't picked was in a seat of authority over them, King Darius, that ultimately it was God who was in control and in the seat of authority. And you and I can then fast forward to the New Testament and look at Jesus's words when he speaks to his disciples after his resurrection, he's just defeated death. I mean, what worse can happen to any of us than death? And Jesus has said, I have overcome death. Death itself has been defeated by me. And all who believe in me, they will experience my victory over death ultimately. We just sang about that day when the dead in Christ will rise. So, so know this, that there's one who has victory over death itself. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, all authority. He doesn't say some authority. He doesn't say, well, of those who believe in me. No, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority. God is in control, and we need that reminder today. Secondly, we need to remember as we begin in this very first verse, something that seems maybe a little dry, just a little bit of historic, establishing a little family genealogy, that ultimately what that's doing for us is it is tying together a story a story that begins over here at the beginning and ends over here at the end of Revelation to remind us of this, that this is ultimately a story about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is ultimately, Haggai, this story, this moment in Israel's history is ultimately a story about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, in what way? I want you to hold your place right here in Haggai, and I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and I want us to look specifically at verse 12. Again, a passage of Scripture where we look and we say, uh, genealogies. You know, like whenever I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, that's the part I try to get by really quick because it's an odd, a lot of odd names. You know, Zerubbabel is not a common name today that we name our children, things like that. And so we look and back over in Haggai, it says, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah. Now turn over to Matthew chapter one, verse 12, this genealogy. Now whose genealogy is it? It's the genealogy of Jesus. In other words, Matthew is establishing the storyline of how we got to Jesus. That he starts all the way back with son of Abraham, son of David, and he goes through this genealogy. And all of a sudden you read in verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, fathered Shiltiel, recognize that name? Shiltiel fathered Zerubbabel. You say, okay, interesting Bible trivia, you know, like, okay. That all of a sudden helps us see that Zerubbabel 
is in the family lineage of Jesus Christ himself. In other words, what's going on with Zerubbabel is going to be an indicator light on the dash of what is ultimately coming. In other words, you're supposed to pay attention to this one. This story about Zerubbabel is ultimately going to find its fulfillment, and we're going to see this at the end of chapter 2, in the birth of this son, the son of God, Jesus the Christ. That's important for you and I to see. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we understand now as New Testament people of God that God as he is going to take up residence in the temple in Israel, now today, do you want to know where God is delighted to reside? In us. Not in this room. As if we all left this room, God would stay behind. Not as if you leave, God stays, and then if you want to experience God, you have to come to this room. You see, that's what a lot of people believe about the nature of God, is that God stays here as Holy Spirit in this room, and he's just hanging out here, kind of lonely, kind of like a lot of like you know folks that get put into a, a senior adult home or a nursing home or something like that, and just really longing for a visit. And that's how some of you approach God. It, almost in this obligation, gosh, it's been a minute, you know, he's probably upset with me, you know, and then you come in and it's like, let me give you, you know, God, a little time. You kind of feel bad while you're here. And honestly, if you're, if you're being real honest, you're just like, Man, I, just, I just can't wait to get out of here, to be honest with you. I mean, that's just the way that some of us relate to God. And that is not at all the way God intends to relate to us. God has made clear in his word, he's no longer in a building, even as beautiful as this one is, this is not where he is pleased to reside now. He resides in us. And the Bible talks about in 1 Peter that you and I, like living stones, are being built together to become a place where God's reside. So think about this. Wherever we get together, I mean, if this building, as beautiful as it is, were, were to be destroyed by a hurricane or burned down by a fire, do you want to know how the church, how First Baptist New Orleans is going to be? Just fine. We can gather right here in this parking lot, right after Hurricane Katrina, right after Hurricane Katrina, Edgewater Baptist Church, the church that I was a member of before I began to pastor that church, we began right after Hurricane Katrina to gather for worship in the home of Charlie and Cheryl Ray over on the West Bank because their home wasn't destroyed by the hurricane. So we began as a church to gather in their home. You're like, yeah, but the, the church was destroyed. No, 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 the church was okay. We were scattered. But then as we began to come back, we began to gather. You wanna know where we gathered? In the parking lot. For two years, we were a stop on the tour, the tour line on Sundays. When tourists would come to New Orleans to see all the devastation, a huge tour bus would pull up while we're having worship service and all the tourists are taking their pictures and they kept going because we were gathered outside. We were in the parking lot because the church of Jesus Christ was okay. Brothers and sisters, that is so, so, so essential for you and I to understand. It, it helps us to rightly prioritize things, right? So that when you start thinking, how can I serve First Baptist New Orleans? You're not just thinking, how can I serve brick and mortar? You're, you're thinking about how can I serve the people of God? 
And then you and I can know that then when we gather in special ways for worship, God is pleased like, because we're like bricks built together to come and dwell with us by his Holy Spirit. It's very, very, very important for us to understand the New Testament understanding of how God now by his Holy Spirit has chosen to reside in us. Yes, individually, but then especially corporately. So this is ultimately a story. All of these things, all of these pieces we're gonna be looking at are about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to understand. But then we get into the message. Verse two, the Lord of armies says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So here's the question for you and me. It was the question for them then, it's the question for us today. Will God's word or what people say establish your priorities? Will God's word or what people say establish your priorities? Now, there was a lot of reasons, right? For them to say, I, I, there's other things more important. I mean, right now, you, you may find yourself in your own crisis where you're like, man, like work is, I mean, it's, it's really, really bad. It's crazy, it's demanding, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in crisis at work. I really don't have time for, for God to be the priority. And I, and I think he understands that. You may say, I'm in a family crisis. Or right now, I'm going through the, the hardest thing I've ever been through. Parents, it's one of the hardest things I've ever watched people go through is when they watch their adult children go through really, really hard things. When, when adults are watching their adult children go through addiction, or they're watching their adult children go through divorce, and they're, and they're concerned for their grandchildren and their hearts are heavy, sometimes we can think that I've just got all of this going on. I, I, I can't prioritize God right now. I, I think God understands that. So many reasons for us to say, you know, like, I, 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 can, I can come back to God, God understands, and, and let me give my attention to whatever the crisis is, to whatever the thing is that's before us that we're saying, this is more important right now. God, God will understand. God is saying, these people say, these people say, these people say, the time has not yet come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now, what's the significance there? Is that just a building campaign? Can I just tell you, a lot of pastors are guilty of taking this passage and then using it when it comes time for building renovations or, or for a building campaign. Just gonna shoot you straight. Let's just talk honest in this room. This is a go-to passage for a lot of pastors to say, all right, church, you know, we need a new sound system. And so, you know, is it time for you to be listening to a nice sound system at home? You know, when my sound system is 20 years old, God says, you know, that kind of thing. Is that, is that the application point? Is that how we faithfully look at this? I don't think so. Now, should we be generous to the church that we're part of? Sure. And there's, you know, so please don't hear me dismissing the need to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. But we have to be careful, especially as a pastor, when I come to a passage like this, that I don't essentially you know, abuse the scriptures in order to accomplish some like corporate goal. This was about God's presence among his people. You and I, 
we, we almost will, will all never fully understand just the, the gravity of what the temple was to the people of God. I mean, like, just to know that God himself was at, at, at presence with us in this room, that if you went in it, you would die instantly. I mean, just to know that there was such a space with us and that this was how God had ordained to be with his people. That the temple had become paramount, central to their presence and existence as a people. Then you understand that now they've been back in the land and years are passing by and people are rebuilding their houses but the presence of God and his unique indwelling with his people is being forgotten. Yes, they, they know that they're God's people. Yes, they know that, that you know, they have this un, unique identity and the prophets and the prophecies and all these things are theirs. The law is theirs. They're still living a peculiar life compared to the Gentiles around them. There's a lot of markings of being godly people. There's just one thing missing. God. There's just one thing missing, God. I mean, it's just like you, if you prepared a surprise birthday party for someone where you went all out and you extend all the invitations and you gather all of the gifts and you get the favorite foods and you do all of these things and you go through all of this and then the party comes and the party goes on without just one person that just show up. The guest of honor, the birthday boy, absent. But everything goes off without a hitch. The party starts right on time. The food is excellent. Everybody loves their party favors. And the night is a success. Just one person didn't show up. The person that it was all about. And essentially, Israel has missed it once more. And brothers and sisters, we are so easy to fall into that same trap. Going through the motions, being peculiar by secular standards. And to leave here today at noon and say it was a success. But what if just one person didn't show up? One being, God, would we know? Does that impact us that we could go through all of the motions of what this is, is gathering? If we could go through all the motions of our life and there was just one being that was absent, it was God. That's what God is getting at. That's what he's calling them to consider in this confrontation. But then in order to alert them to this, how many of you, the indicator lights on your dash bother you? Okay, show of hands. The indicator lights, you know, the yellow and red lights on your dash. Um, how many of you, like, it just bothers the heck out of you, all right? It, all right, how many of you, you could care less? You see there's a racket from the manufacturer to get you in. How many of those, you know, folks we got in here? Yep, two different groups, you know. I get in some, it looks like a Christmas tree. You know, every light is on. They're like, yeah, it's just a racket. You know, like, I, I'm not going in. You know, they just want to get my money. And I'm the opposite, okay? I'm the guy that's like, ah, oh, an indicator. I'm like, what is this, you know? And so I'm like, how do I get it off? I mean, I'm tempted to put black electrical tape, you know, just cover it over, you know, like, because it bothers me that much. 
You know the indicator light. God says, look at the indicator lights. Look at the indicator lights. And God's not running a racket. He says, look at the indicator lights. Think carefully about your ways. You planted much, but harvested little. Think about that. You planted much, lots of seeds, but nothing grew. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're never happy. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn money, but then you put it in your pocket, and your pocket's got a hole in it. He's like, just look at your life. Just consider your ways. How's it going for you? And then he goes down. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields. He's like, consider these ways. Consider what's happening. And the reason he's drawing attention to this is this is exactly what he said when he was not their priority. Back over in Deuteronomy, when he paints the picture, if you pursue me, if I'm number one, this is what will happen. If you don't, if you become idolaters and love other things more than me, this is what will happen. And he is saying, this is what is happening. All the indicator lights are on and you are not paying attention to the dash. You're not looking at the law that I've given you right in front of you to tell you what is going on. You are lacking my presence. You're lacking my presence, my people. That's the problem. Brothers and sisters, even today, we continue to fight about what is the real issue. You know, the, the issue today is, and then you fill in the blank. You know, the issue today is, you know, kids these days. You know, the issue today is dirty politicians. The issue today is the music in church. No good. The issue today is preaching just isn't what it, wasn't, what it used to be. The pastor just doesn't do invitations the right way. Otherwise, we'd see people just pouring down the aisles. We begin to, to fight about what is the issue? Why isn't the church thriving today? Why, why am I not seeing it like I did once before? It must be a political reason. It must be an ideology reason. It, it must be something about screens or the internet or, or entertainment today. It must be all of these things. And God's saying, what if it's just that I'm not with you? What if it is, it's just that you don't care if I'm in this place or not. You, you just care about your comforts. You just care about ease. You, you just care about absence of conflict, not peace, just absence of conflict. That's what you're after. You're not after me, God says. You could, you could do all that you do without me. And so I'm going to let you. And then you're going to look and you're going to say, all the indicator lights are on. Hmm, I wonder what gifts. You see, notice what's missing. They don't like food. They lack satisfaction. It's not that they have no food. It just doesn't satisfy. Notice they, they don't like wine. They lack happiness that comes from that fellowship time of celebrating and, and, and enjoying a glass of wine together. Notice they, they don't lack clothes, they lack warmth, what, what clothes are supposed to provide. They, they don't lack money, they lack the security that it doesn't just seem to just dissipate into thin air. 
God is saying only I can ultimately satisfy. Only I can ultimately give happiness or blessing. Only I can ultimately comfort and heal your souls. Only I can give you the security that you long for in this life. Only I can be God. God knows that he alone is God. And so he is willing to allow every indicator in our life to go off, the yellow ones and the red ones. The yellow ones of, don't you notice the lack of satisfaction? Yeah, life goes on, but, but there's just something's just not right. It's just, I just don't feel fulfilled. I just don't feel joyful. I just, you know, it just doesn't bring what I thought it would bring. And then there's the red indicator lights. There's drought in the land. There, there's death in the land. There's, there's devastation in the land. There's the red indicator lights. You know, you're, you're, you're about to blow up your engine. God's saying, I've turned them all on for you in order to get you to one place me. I want you to come to me and notice what the people do. Notice what they do. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, verse 12, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God in the words of the prophet of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. They said, we will obey. We will obey. And in that moment, God has just instructed them, if you would just go up to where you get wood to the, to the forest and begin to cut down trees, just take that step of obedience, then I would be glorified, God says. I will be satisfied. I will be glorified. God wants to see them just say, yes, God, we will obey and then begin that first step of, of obedience. And what does he say? Notice that in that moment, he doesn't say, and I'm gonna wait until it's done. I'm gonna wait until all of your obedience has its full outcome, the, the, the full rebuilding of the temple before I will be with you. Notice what God says in this moment. This is what you and I need to hear. And this is what you need to hear in your life right now with that, with that thing that you've been struggling against God and you've been like, God, God's not, it's not the time. God, right now is not the time. I've got all these reasons it's not the time. That for you just to say, yes, I will obey. Yes, God, I will obey. God says to you, I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. Jesus doesn't say to us over in the New Testament, after you make disciples of all nations, then I'll be with you. No, he says in the Great Commission, go making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. He's with us in the work. He's with us in the obedience. He's with us in the highs. He's with us in the lows. He is with us when we rightly fear him. That's what God is after. And the Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the people, all the remnant of the people. And they began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. I want you to see the span of time from when God begins to speak to they begin to act is brief. They don't sit on it. In fact, the entire prophecy of Haggai takes place in the fall of the year of which is being spoken of, somewhere around 520 to 522. 
All of this from basically August up through November. That God is speaking and he's communicating to his people and his people are taking action. Let me ask you, what is it in your life right now that you sense because you're Christian, you would say, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life. That you've been saying, but but I really don't, I, I can't do Lordship of Jesus in this area yet. I will honor him with my finances eventually. I'll prioritize, you know, his word when work gets a little slower. I will will prioritize him later. These people say, now's not the time. Where are these people? And it's we who are at risk of delaying obedience, but notice that God is in the obedience. God is in the surrender. So I don't know what it is uniquely for you today to re-enter into that space of confessing Jesus as Lord, but wherever it is, it's the same response when you first came to Jesus Christ. You see, when we first come to Jesus, we come to him in a, in a position of surrender. When I was 16 years old, I literally got down on my knees. I'm about to go to my knees uh, for this camera. Um, they, they get onto me about getting on my knees, you know, up and down. So um, I got down on my knees in the woods of Mississippi and I just said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. And so today I am giving you my life. I'm asking you to take away all of my sin and for Jesus to be Lord. As best as I know how, I want Jesus to be the king of my life from this day forward. And that was the day that God got my heart. And can I tell you, that's what God wants from you today again. You say, well, Chad, I did that when I was a kid. It was at a VBS. I can remember it, all these things. Yeah, when was the last time you really gave your heart to Jesus? When was the last time you, you surrendered once again? Some of you in this room, it may have never happened. You may have been like the people in the Old Testament who were going through all the motions and there was a religious quality to your life where you, there was a general respect for God, kind of a, a distant respect and all that, but God is not after just a distant respect. He wants your heart. He wants your heart because if he gets your heart, he gets everything. So will you give him your heart again today? Every person in this room, can we do that together? Can we move toward God today saying, God, if there's any area of my life right now where I'm withholding immediate obedience to you, where where I'm holding back and, and, and telling you that I'm waiting on something, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. May Jesus be Lord of this part of my life. If you're here today, you've never done that. I want to invite you, just come and kneel at these steps and just like I demonstrated, just kneel before Jesus and give him your heart. I promise you, the other side of that experience of giving him everything is where life is. It's where life is. I mean, you you come alive, literally, you are born again into a new experience of God. And all of a sudden, the message of Haggai makes sense to you. Oh yeah, it's his presence It's God, of course, it's God that changes everything. Not us, not my religiosity, not my good behavior. No, it's God. It's God. 
brothers and sisters, let us become those who want God. God, I pray this morning for our hearts to be given back to you, for us to follow the example of those before who got distracted, who, who, who allowed other things to become more important than your presence in our life, God. For today to be the day that we return to you and we look to you in faith and we give you our hearts. Lord, I pray for the person in this room that has never done that before. Please, God, will you reach down from heaven and rescue them and bring them into your kingdom. God, show them today that it is only in you that they will have life. Lord, please bring attention through all of the indicator lights that you have ordained to get our attention today so that we return to you, the living God. I'm gonna invite for you all to stand in this room, but I'm gonna invite you also that if you need to come and just kneel at these steps, don't be ashamed to leave your seat and just come spend time with God, giving your life back to him. Let's respond now in this time of response.